Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited for today's episode for a couple of reasons. Uh, but let me introduce the guest first, and, uh, and I'll tell you why I'm so excited. Today's guest is in the utility space where she's held a variety of roles in HR and learning. She's currently a senior training and change management specialist at Suez. Please welcome Jessica Sirico. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you, and you are definitely the first podcast guest to be uh, Zooming in from Bergen County, New Jersey, which is uh, where I grew up. So I'm super extra excited to have you on board and glad we were able to, to talk about uh, some of the New Jersey history uh, you know, in our preparation for today's call. So welcome and thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you. So let's start off as we always do. Tell me what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. So I would say the biggest challenge is probably the amount of changes that are happening at one time. And this is across all various organizations, not just specific to Suez or utilities. You know, there's the regulatory compliance changes. There's a typical organization changes. There's a lot of training for health and safety, HR, cybersecurity that they have to keep up with, as well as for their licenses and certifications. And then, of course, you know, you can't not mention COVID here. So the ever-changing rules and regulations that that has brought everyone over the past 18 months now. Um, so that's exhausting in itself. But so that's right there is a lot to take in, uh, plus, you know, their normal day-to-day -day job functions. But then you add in new technology on top of all that. So, and oftentimes it's not just small changes. These are typically applications that they're going into day in and day out. So it's really bringing everyone a newer way of working, um, which I think at times can be a bit uncomfortable and uneasy for people. Um, but that's really why I'm going to really preach here. It's critical now more than ever for companies to have effective change management and really see the value in it on their technology projects and organization initiatives to really help our field staff or any employee for that matter feel better prepared for these changes and really understand why we're changing and how it's impacting them. You, you know, the, the pace of change, you're making a really uh, good point. And as, as you were describing that, I'm thinking about the number of utility companies that I've worked around and utility companies are really driven by process, right? So, uh, and which is part of what makes utility companies awesome, right? It's a, it's a very deliberate, systematized approach to how you do everything in the organization. Some of it's for regulatory compliance, as you mentioned, some of it's for safety. Um, but there are a lot of very rigid processes that are designed to ensure compliance and safety and, and having a standard way of doing things. And, and when you talk about the pace of change, you know, you're kind of upending what is the normal part of a utilities company culture, which is let's figure out what the best practices and stick with it indefinitely. 
Yeah. Now we're also saying, yeah, and we have to change that, you know, every week or every month, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people are very attached to their processes right now because it's what we've been doing for however many years. So, um, so these applications and the, the new technology, it's not only just changing, like, you know, like what they are entering or how they're entering like the data, but it's just very much like you're really looking at the processes now and are our processes efficient? How does this new application change those processes that we're all so used to? So yeah, so it's definitely, there's a lot of changes that it's bringing, not just the new technology that it's attached to. Yeah, and, and I'm sure this is true in a lot of other industries, but I happen to have worked uh, around a few utility companies and I've noticed with the men and women in the field, they take pride in the tribal knowledge that exists out in the field. They take pride in having been with the organization for 10 or 15 or 20 years and that they know the processes that they know very well. They take pride mm -hmm. in that when they are onboarding new teammates, um, you know, they want to be the mentor. I've seen that a lot. And, and as you're describing this, it just, it really must, you know, um, upset a lot of the norms that would otherwise exist because we do have so much change uh, to absorb right now. So I, I definitely feel for them. It goes against the grain in, in a lot of what makes, uh, you know, the, the field force and utility organization, you know, who they are. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of our field staff, you know, they have been here 20, 30 years. So um, especially having someone come in from corporate, you know, to go through new changes and new processes and kind of explain how to do things differently. I think there's kind of like a self-preservation there. Um, so they kind of, it's very natural to put up your defense in that case um, because, you know, it's almost like a, who are you to tell me how to do my job? But that's why I always like to start off a lot of the trainings that I do um, kind of outlining, like, I'm not here to tell you how to fix a main break. I'm not here to tell you how to flush your hydrant. I'm just here to help you understand how to enter that those details of the main break into a new application instead of on paper or wherever you were entering it before. So it's really a partnership there. And that's the, 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 um, the way I like to approach training because it really is a learning experience for me too. You know, Correct me if I'm not saying something right. Tell me how you do things today. So it's really a give and take there. You, you think that coming down from headquarters out to the field to go meet with the men and women um, that are working in the field, do you think that you have a credibility challenge, you and all of your colleagues, not you specifically, but but everybody that's coming in from headquarters out to the field, do you think that there's a, a bit of an imbalance from a credibility standpoint? Yeah, I think that there definitely can be um, that experience. Um, so that's why I really do try to really understand their local processes because you know it might be the same department or same job function from one location to another, but each location has their own processes, their own um, differences. So I always make sure that I'm understanding exactly how this change is fitting into those processes and how it's impacting them specifically. Um, so rather than just, you know, just laying it out the way that I think it should be, it's, it's um, really taking the time to understand where everyone is coming from. And um, I think then it's more accepted because they see like, okay, I'm trying to understand. I've spent some time in the field. I've done other applications like this. So I think once they start to get to know me or anyone for that matter from corporate, not just me specifically, um, and they see that corporate employees are trying to make an effort to really understand and spend time out there. Um, I think that that's where the defense starts to lighten. Yeah. We, we've always said you, you can't build 
technology solutions for the field from a conference room at headquarters. And yeah. I think that, it, you know, it, it, it affects all aspects of digital transformation from project management to the design of the software to the change management and training considerations and things like that. But uh, I just place such a high value on going out to meet the men and women in the field and, and understand to the extent that we can a, a day in their life and understand the environment that they're working in and the stresses of their job. Because without that, we, we just won't be able to, uh, you know, approach the uh, our objectives with the, the appropriate amount of empathy. And uh, I think we'll, we'll set ourselves up for failure for, for ourselves and for, for the frontline workers themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really where sometimes user adoption doesn't always hit the targets that you anticipate it for because you're not taking the time to really look at how it's impacting each group individually. You're just trying to implement a system and, and assume it's going to work because it works other places and that's it. But you really do have to, to take the time to understand um, the local nuances and everything going on there and, and the real change there. You mentioned the local aspects of the frontline workforce in your organization. And you're reminding me that in a couple of the utility companies that I've worked with, they were essentially multiple companies that rolled up to you know a larger parent company, meaning that they had very... Uh, state-driven operations. Mm -hmm. Operating procedures were driven by state-by-state state, compliance, perhaps even some safety uh, you know, regulations and things like that were driven by the state. In, in your role, do you, are, are you affecting everybody in the organization or do you just have a, a geography where everything under your responsibility uh, is all complying with the same sets of rules? Um, so in my role, so I support... Um, so I'm on the technology project. So, but I support our utility division specifically. So those are primarily in the um, Northeast as well as we have one location out in Idaho. Um, but there are definitely, you know, state by state, there's some changes that you just have to be aware of. Um, but a lot of the times it is, um, it's like one project is implementing or going into all of these locations. But again, it's just understanding the differences there. Okay, that's good. Well, talk, let's talk about this. It's a good transition. Let's talk a little bit more about your role. Um, help us understand what it is uh, that you do uh, throughout your, your day and your week. Yeah, so I work on technology projects along with a project team oftentimes. And my focus is assessing the change management and training needs. So based on those needs, I would create and execute plans um, because it's really just, it's never a one size fits all. So really just, un again, just understanding um, how it's impacting each team differently, how it's impacting each location differently, even if it's one project, just really understanding the differences there. Um, but ultimately the goal for me is to just drive user adoption, lower change resistance, and make it just an overall smoother process for employees once this new technology goes live. That's fantastic. What kind of education background did you need to have in order to, to get into the role that you have today? Um, I wouldn't say it's a need to have. So there's no, I wouldn't be surprised if one day there is a, you know, bachelor's in change management or um, concentration because it is becoming so much more um, common today. But so I went to undergrad for um, HR and business management at Rowan University. Um, so it kind of just, um, I kind of just fell into the change management space. Um, it, 
throughout my career path. And once I started doing change management more formally, I kind of realized like, okay, like I was kind of doing some of these functions already in my other roles. Like when I started in the HR service center at Suez, um, I was very focused on making sure we're always communicating to our employees different changes. So if there's a change in like a tax rule or um, our benefits, you know, making sure that they're aware of that um, and really understanding those changes before it just happens. Um, and that's a lot of change management is focusing on communication. How does this impact the end users? So yeah, so it really just kind of happened um, just naturally, but looking back, there were definitely things that I was already doing that were related to change management, not even realizing it at that time. So it's really interesting. The people that are most passionate about change management seem to have this level of empathy for people that is uh, unusual. And, and I mean that in a, obviously in a very positive way. Where, where does that strong sense of empathy come from? You know, it, what's, what's, what experiences have you had? Um, what relationships do you have? What family members do you have that have caused you to, to maybe just be a little bit more naturally empathy, uh, empathetic to the needs of, of the humans that are interacting with the technology? Yeah, so um, I would definitely agree with that statement. Um, so again, going back to like when I was in HR, I think it was partly, I have always just like been very big on like customer service and communicating and make sure people, making sure people are aware of what's going on, especially at their job um, and company that they work for. Um, so that's really, I always, again, wanted to focus and make sure employees knew what was going on, um, were, were staying engaged and, and aware of everything. Um, I think part of it was also driven from, um, in my first role at Suez, if something went wrong or if something changed on employees and they weren't aware of it, I was the one on the other line, on the other end of the phone calls, getting angry messages and um, like confused employees being like, why didn't you tell us this? So that was also like, you know, like I didn't want those angry calls or just like frustrating calls, but it definitely, um, I think it's always just been something that I've just been aware of. I just always think that it was like, for companies to communicate to their customers what was going on. Um, so that's always just something that I've been very big on. Yeah. So change management for you very specifically means uh, systems, you know, change management around systems and mm -hmm. adoption of technology. Is there anything that caused you to pursue a path a little bit more focused on uh, technology and humans together versus other elements of, of HR and, and just, you know, um, people development overall? Yeah, so it's actually so um, to shed light on my kind of career path there. So when I started in the HR Service Center, um, seven years ago now at Suez, I eventually moved into a learning and diversity role within HR still. And that was a very interesting move for me at that time because truthfully, I was a little afraid of public speaking. So to go into a role where I would definitely have the opportunity to do more speaking in front of groups and training, it was a little scary, um, but I had a lot of good support system at Suez and in the HR department. So, I made the move over and started to do more trainings and not only got over that fear, but I actually realized I enjoy the training aspect of my job. So when I saw an internal role open for a training specialist within our IT department, 
um, it really just caught my attention. And that too was a little um, uncomfortable thinking about because I, I have a background in HR. I've been in HR at that point for four years. So, you know, moving over to IT like where I know nothing um, was a little scary also. But so I applied because I felt like I just had to at least give it a shot. And I applied, I interviewed, luckily I, I was offered the position and I made the move over into, um, into that role. And so then I was part of the IT change management team. And at that time, it was really just my manager doing change management for Suez for our projects. And with a growing portfolio of projects there, it was definitely a clear need that we needed additional um, hands-on for change management. So my manager and our CIO like asked if I would be open to kind of taking on some of those responsibilities. And um, it really is a nice link to training because training is part of change management. So some of the things I was doing really ultimately were things that I continued to do just in a little bit of a grander scale. So, um, you know, my manager walked me through what she does. She guided me through my first one or two projects doing change management. And, um, and then I went to ProSci training and that really solidified um, the foundation of change management for me. Um, and eventually I was promoted to really have that official title of senior training and change management specialist. Yeah, I think, you know, there are a lot of projects in IT that have less impact on the humans, right? So when we're upgrading uh, data centers, uh, moving, uh, you know, servers from a data center into the cloud and other things like that, there's not as much of an impact on the users of the technology. So they could still be big IT projects that require a lot of resources and project management and things like that but they are mostly behind the scenes and, you know, the plumbing and infrastructure uh, aspects of, of IT. I think, you know, where it affects the users, it's great to see somebody that's got an HR and training background that's actually sitting inside those IT projects now to really uh, just bring to light and consider what are the impacts going to be on the human aspects of this. And that's, it's one of the reasons that we wanted to really kick off this, this change management series inside frontline innovators because we see it a lot from the tech implementation side where there's not enough focus on change management and human implications of of what's going on and uh, that's where we see a lot of the challenges that occur inside some of these large projects so it's it's encouraging to hear that suez and has, has placed such an emphasis on this and has, has put people like yourself in into that role so that's really fantastic for suez yeah, and that was, I would say, it was really driven. Um, so change management is a newer, maybe not at this point, but maybe within the last five years um, of a newer role within Suez. So, but that's something that our CIO, when he came over to Suez North America, he really started, he started a project management team, um, change management. So he really built that up and he definitely strongly sees the value in change management and really believes in it. So it's really nice to see. That's good. That's really good to hear. So let's let's step out of Suez for just one moment and talk about um, some of your passions. What do you like to do outside of work? Um, what do I like to do? I have well, I have two dogs who you probably just heard growl in the back. I heard I heard one of them. Yep. Yes. I love it. Yep. So um, I have two dogs, so they definitely occupy my time a lot. But other than that, um, I love to work out, um, cook when I can. Um, I try. Sometimes it's not always great. 
But, um, and then I have a really big family here in New Jersey who's all local to me, which is awesome. So I spend a lot of time with them as well. Um, you know, like a lot of extended cousins, aunts, grandpa. So um, that's really great to have everyone close by. That's good. That's the part I miss most about New Jersey is all the friends yeah. and family that are still up there. So we yeah. try to stay in touch, but it's uh, it's good when you can be close. We have a lot of family down here in, in the Texas area now. So I, I can totally appreciate um, being close to family, but that's uh, that's a good reason to stay where you're at. So you also mentioned ProSci. Uh, talk a little bit about that because that, that's something that you've done in the last couple of years uh, to move forward to that certification, I believe, right? Yeah. So I went to ProSci training at I think it was about two years ago, but I mean, for anyone who is in change management or who is interested in getting into change management, I think they have really, they have a very strong training program um, and even like a really good resourceful blog and toolkit. Um, but that really like really outlined the change process from A to Z for me, because it really kind of opened my eyes on how, you know, change management, I think a lot of people believe it just falls onto one person, whoever that change lead is, but it's a collective effort. So it really comes down to, you know, like I'll help guide people, but it's driven a lot from like the middle managers and the supervisors to the executives. Um, the project team gets involved in change management. So ProSci really opened my eyes to how many pieces of change management and how many people play into it and really the full end to end scope of it. It really sounds like the way you're describing the role is is kind of having to herd the cats, right? There are a lot of stakeholders throughout the organization, um, the end users as individuals, the end users as a collective, as a group, but then all of the other people that are going to be uh, affected by or impacting that change. Mm -hmm. And it, it really sounds like the way you're defining your role is is really to try to bring that together into uh, you know a, a cohesive system that's all kind of rowing in the same direction. Yeah, exactly. So it's really just kind of like keeping an eye on um, where are their gaps? So do we have good um, sponsorship? And if not, like, how do we fix that? Is, is the executive sponsor engaged in the project and talking about the project? Um, if not, like, we need to address that. Um, do the direct supervisors and managers, are they on board with this change? Because that's a big hurdle. And I think a lot of times, too, going off of that, you know, middle managers and supervisors they have to process this change too, because it's also coming to them. It's also changing how they do things, how they manage their teams. So they can very well experience resistance too. So it's making sure that they are understanding of the change and in support of the change, um, because they're also going to be the ones to communicate to their teams the most on the changes. So um, they're really more so the drivers of the change than myself as a change specialist, I would say. I think actually what you just described is something that's uh, probably for the last 30 or 60 days or so in, in my day job has been um, something that's been really front and center as we've talked about it as a team. And that is the importance of making sure that all levels of leadership are as on board with the change strategy uh, as anybody else in the organization, because what we're we've seen a few examples where there wasn't a lot of support at the supervisor, manager, director level for what was happening. So it was kind of you know at the top levels of of those folks who were making decisions about implementing this new technology, and then all the way down at the receiving end, uh, the frontline workers themselves who had to absorb this technology. But in between those two, uh, it wasn't as cohesive. 
And we saw some things breaking down on that. And so I, I think you make a really, really good point that we can't expect the frontline workers to be on board with something if we don't have the supervisors and managers uh, equally on board and understand the impact of them and understand their role as leaders, right? To, mm-hmm. to um, you know, be empathetic, as we talked about earlier, to the changes that the, the men and women on their team are going to face and and some of the ways that they can better support that. And it, it sounds obvious when we talk about this, right? Of course, all of this makes perfect sense, but it's not always done in the real world in practice. And um, so I, I think it's, it's good to hear folks like yourself that are really looking out for those potential pitfalls and making sure that you're, you're addressing it with all the stakeholders throughout you know, the, the entire uh, reporting structure. Yeah, and a lot of the times, like, you know, like people leave organizations, they change roles. So um, if in the middle of a project, you have a sponsor change roles or a manager change roles, it, it definitely has an impact on the project. So um, it's definitely important to really work, work with everyone to make sure, you know, like if it's an internal move, can, can this person still support this project? Or, you know, if we have to get someone else up to speed, how is this going to impact the timeline and the expectations? So um, yeah, it really comes down to it's everyone plays a part in it. And um, it, it's just really just managing and making sure everyone is on board and going through the motions there. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about um, what we've been hearing a lot lately about this concept of the future of work. I think it's been the, the phrase and the conversation was around before the pandemic, but it certainly has been accelerated in that we've all experienced so much change regardless of our roles uh, over the last 18 months. And so I think as we look out toward the future, we see um, some things are going to stay the same post-pandemic as, as what happened during the pa- pandemic, and then certain things will kind of resort back to the way they were before. But just to kind of kick this part off, do you think much has changed for the frontline workers in your organization throughout the pandemic in terms of how their jobs, how they they conduct themselves in their jobs? Or would you say that the frontline workers in your organization have been largely unaffected by the pandemic? I'm curious to get your take on that. No, I would say they've definitely, they've been impacted. Um, I mean, I think everyone has at this point by COVID and the pandemic, but um, there's definitely, instead of going out in teams um, and on crews, like if it can be individual work or just even driving separately, um, they had to do a lot. Um, and just keeping up with those rules and regulations, you know, like what type of mask we have to wear, can, can we do this type of work? Um, and so I think it's definitely impacted them. And I, I could imagine, especially at the very beginning, it was probably especially hard for them because while a lot of people were working remotely and that was a transition in itself don't get me wrong but you know you almost feel like everything's shutting down and you're still expected to go to work every day so like they don't have the opportunity to work from home um most of the time for certain things so um i think that that was especially hard um and now just kind of going through the motions of everything reopening people coming back to the office i think it's great but i think um it's definitely been a change and um, maybe it was a good change because there was less people around and no, no one on the road. But I think now it's just kind of adjusting to that newer, newer way of working now. I have just found it so incredibly frustrating. I got to vent for a minute that when I see all these posts on LinkedIn and Facebook about uh, people debating about whether, you know, they should be able to do their job from their living room and, and all these other things. And, and, I don't even have a strong opinion about that. What I have an opinion about or, or just a, a realization of is that 
the overwhelming majority of our global workforce is not debating whether they can do their job from a living room or not, right? Mm -hmm. The men and women that work in your organization out in the field, they don't have the luxury. It's not even a conversation for them. And the more I hear it talked about with us, you know, office workers, the more it just drives me crazy. It, it, the more it makes me sensitive and it makes me think about the men and women that they're out there still kind of powering through a day while, you know, a lot of people in roles that look more like ours are, you know, deciding on whether or not they're going to turn their webcam on today. Right. And it just, yeah. it, it makes me chuckle a little bit. And it, it also just makes me really frustrated for the frontline workers, because I think every minute that we're talking about Zoom fatigue and, you know, whether we can wear sweatpants on our couch while we're working uh, is time that we're not spending thinking about how is this all impacting them, right? Mm -hmm. well, our job here is to support the men and women in the field because they're the ones that are actually out doing the stuff that it is that your business does, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so without them, they are truly essential. And without them, we, we can't run this business, right? You can't run your business. And uh, so it's, it's just interesting to hear you, you talk about those changes. Of, of course, it's been impactful to them. And uh, even when you just talked about the, the procedures, right? We talk, talked at the top of the call about how the, the biggest challenge facing them right now is just the pace of change. And so I think that was happening before COVID. Mm -hmm. and COVID has just like turned the dial up by, you know, 100%. And the amount of change that they're having to, uh, you know, to absorb in the field is just greater than ever. Yeah. And I mean, COVID made it especially hard too for some of these technology changes, because like a lot of the trainings I did for over the past year and a half have been remote yeah. and it's definitely difficult to not only just sit like, so our frontline workers, they are not used to sitting in a classroom or, you know, like at a desk all day. So to go to a training in person all day, like that's a lot already. Um, but then, you know, when it's virtual, that's like even harder because now there's no one in the, in the room with you. You just have to stare at a projector screen. Um, but then also, you know, like it was a lot of iPad training. So just kind of like if someone's not following along on the iPad, I wasn't there to like be able to point, point it out and like hover over them and like help guide them through where they're stuck. I even read the room on how everyone's doing. Um, so it was definitely very difficult to, to add in these new applications and everything throughout COVID. I mean, we made it work. People have been doing great on the application still, but it was definitely, I feel like um, part of that was kind of stolen from them, like part of that training. Um, it wasn't as impactful. Again, they made it through. There were plenty of guides, plenty of training, plenty of um, on-site support through their supervisors and other people to help guide them through it. But it definitely has been a challenge in um, the training and change aspect of it. Yeah. You just mentioned a whole bunch of things in that explanation that I want to go back to a little bit. So the first is just, um, you know, R is the profile of the typical frontline worker in your organization. Are they optimized for classroom learning or are they optimized for hands-on learning? And, you know, it, it sounds to me like, you know, yes, you've had to do some classroom training in the past, but my experience has been, it seems like uh, a lot of these men and women are really optimized for kind of learning on the job, doing things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, physically. What, what's your take on that in terms of how you've done it perhaps pre-COVID and, and then, you know, perhaps some of the sacrifices that they and you have had to make, um, you know, because you can only do things remote? Yeah, so I, um, pre-COVID, it was a lot of classroom dial training. So it was definitely, you know, we're sitting in a, in a conference room going through the motions of creating work orders and completing work orders. 
I try my best to paint the picture like, all right, like, you know, like now you're driving to the work site and now you get there. So you click this button and um, what's the first thing you do when you get to that job site? Um, so I try to paint the picture best I can. Um, of course, it still isn't going to relate 100% um, in there. So what we do is a kind of like a soft go live, I'll call it. So after training, um, the project team will stay on for like at least the first week of go live and we'll go out in the field with them, uh, with our field workers and guide everyone through like if they get stuck, really see how the application works in, in the field when you're not connected to Suez Wi-Fi and kind of what's happening there. Um, so it is kind of a combination. The initial training is a classroom, but then we do, um, especially like when we can without COVID uh, precautions in there, we definitely still go out in the field and really make sure it's syncing up to their day-to-day -day job or um, this past, one of the past trainings that I just did over the summer, we were able to go there but we couldn't really go out in the field just because like you need different cars and all of that. Um, but then everyone came back to the conference room at the end of the day, you know, wrap up a little bit early, come back to the conference room. How, what troubles are you having? How can I help you enter those um, work orders in and capture everything correctly? So it is a bit of a blended experience. Yeah. So you said now in the COVID world, rather than doing that classroom training, you're doing those things over video conferencing. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me about, you know, what other tools you're using to help enable that? Is it just Zoom or Teams or something like that? Um, or are there other tools that you're using to help facilitate that? Yeah, so we, we do everything over Teams um, because when we started going virtual, I did create like really, um, like everyone has always gotten like handbooks and guides in the trainings that they go to for, like through me or my team. Um, but I really made sure that the training materials for the virtual rollouts were very particular and had a lot of instruction and a lot of step-by-step -step pictures and um, screenshots and everything to really, so that if they need it, it's there. Um, and then as well as creating different e-learnings after that. So if they do need to you know, brush up on how to do something specific, um, having that in our LMS system so that it is, um, retrievable on demand and the LMS system has a link on their iPad. So just making sure that it's all accessible after training. Um, and I actually I've shown people how to share their screen on Teams. So I've gotten calls on Teams from some of the people out in the field and they're showing me what's going on on their iPad just by sharing their screen through it. So that's been really great um, just so that I think that that's an added bonus because it could be like a week, two weeks after the go live and you know, the project team has left, um, maybe their manager is busy with something. So they've just called me directly and just started to show their screen and show me exactly what's happening. And that's been a huge help. It's fantastic. I mean, that's a, an, an excellent example of the use of technology to help enable technology, right? So mm -hmm. we're using the tools um, that we're expecting them to learn um, in order to help facilitate that. I think that's a great example. And I yeah. think Microsoft's done such a great job of really enhancing the capabilities of teams over the last couple of years. And obviously just the adoption of, of teams generally has just gone through the roof since, since the pandemic. So there, there might actually be some, some silver lining, uh, things that will come out of, you know, the pandemic. And I just think the adoption of video conferencing and screen sharing technology, it was around, you know, way before the pandemic, 
but I think just our comfort level as a, you know, society, as a workforce has just gone up dramatically to the point where, you know, I suspect your frontline workers probably were not doing screen sharing on teams prior to the pandemic would be my guess. No, right? definitely not. So, they probably weren't even signed into their teams app before this. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, so now, you know, they, they needed the help and, and you were able to show them uh, the path to that. So that's a great story and a perfect example of, of how we can be using the technology. Do you think that the, the change management challenges with technology adoption are different for frontline workers versus all of the other kind of knowledge workers inside the organization? So for change management, I would always approach it with the same steps. So doing like an impact assessment, a risk assessment, and really seeing where the gaps are. Um, with the frontline workers, there's definitely sometimes like really looking at, okay, so they're using an iPad app now. Have they used iPads before? What's their skill level on the iPad itself? Because if, if you're not comfortable with an iPad, you're not going to be comfortable with this app, no matter what, right. no matter how great the training on the app is. So um, really like looking at really the skill set there, um, but you would do that the same way for a corporate employee if, it, if they had to start using an iPad. Um, so it's really, you approach it with the same mythology, but it's definitely um, really taking a look at the skill set and making sure everyone is prepared for the, the iPad training. And then also, um, you know, making it as seamless as possible. So in that iPad training, for example, showing them, okay, here's how you update the settings so that your lock screen doesn't time out after 30 seconds. And now it's two minutes instead. So you don't have to put in your passcode as often. Right. Um, or putting the apps that you use most frequently in the docking station so that you're not scrolling through the pages trying to find them. So it's really just about, regardless of who the end user is, it's just about making it as seamless as possible. And what can you do to help make it easier for them? I think that's a, all great points. And you're right. We shouldn't assume that just because somebody works at headquarters and we're going to be rolling out, you know, an iPad solution that they're, they're comfortable with iPads, right? There are a lot of just mm -hmm. silly things, especially with the, the current devices now where there's not even any buttons. You just have to swipe. And those gestures are not necessarily intuitive until somebody's shown you what those gestures are, right? Yeah. And I mean, even if you, you know, like you use a smartphone, but let's say you're an Android person using an iPad is very different and using, if you're an Apple person and then you have to use some sort of Samsung device, I am completely lost. I so agree. it's definitely, you have to still look at it from all angles because you don't know where that person is coming from and what their skill set is. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. And so it, it sounds to me what you're saying is we, we essentially have to uh, level set the expectation and figure out what everybody's current level of understanding of those platforms is and, and make sure that we're, we're maybe saying to building to the lowest common denominator, maybe that's not the most positive way to say that, but, but to some extent we have to say, well, what's the lowest possible level of competency that, that people in the organization can have and make sure that we're covering those people that, that are, you know, least knowledgeable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So when we, I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious about really um, the amount, like, you mentioned earlier about connectivity challenges. So one of the things you said is when you're, when the users aren't on the Suez Wi-Fi, what's their experience like? Does that play in at all to how you're trying to train them? That's actually, uh, there's a real technology aspect of that, right? You're switching over from one network, a Wi-Fi network, and now maybe you're going over to a public carrier network. So that's 
at its core, it's really a, a pretty technology thing about where the bits and bytes are flying through the network. How does that affect your training and, and how you deal with the, the change management implications of that? So for any field application that we um, implement for, for our field teams, we make sure that there is some sort of level of connectivity, even if you're in a complete dead zone, because some of our, our facilities are in very remote areas. So it's very common to have no reception, no Wi-Fi, definitely, and, and those sorts of things. So um, for all of our apps, we make sure that there's some level of um, capability even without that, that connection. So can they complete a work order? Can, can you still get to your work orders and complete it? And then once you get back in a cell range, will it push through? Um, on one of the apps that I've trained, it might not have been as seamless as you would hope. So showing our teams how, like, you know, if you were in a dead zone, here's what you do when you get out of it. And here's how you push it through to make sure all of your water quality samples or work orders go through properly. Um, so it's really just making sure that that works because the moment it stops working, people shut down and they're like, oh, I knew this was gonna happen, it's garbage. So you really have to kind of, like things will happen. You can't prevent them all. So really just giving them the knowledge and capabilities of understanding what to do when it does happen. Nothing more frustrating than trying to comply with technology adoption, doing a mm -hmm. bunch of work in some way, and then losing all of that history. There's, yeah, exactly. There's, there's nothing to uh, cause you to be more frustrated about adopting that technology. You're going to throw the iPad out the window. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, and I don't blame you or them. So, and then in that case too, it's really, how do we make it so there's as little typing as possible? So like pre-fill checklists and things like that. So like, even if let's say you do lose what you put in, you know, you're not typing a novel. Um, you're not typing a lot of customized things where you might forget it. So it really is just making sure, you know, it's checklist and very straightforward so that if it were lost and just the overall user adoption, it just makes it easier to get back or just to enter to begin with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what advice would you give to perhaps somebody getting into to change management, uh, dealing with frontline workers for the first time? What, what advice would you give them based on the experience that you've had about how you've engaged? You, you've talked about a bunch of things today. You've talked about engaging all levels of leadership. You've talked about spending actually time out in the field. Um, so you've touched on a lot of these things, but is there one thing that stands out as, as the advice that you would give to somebody else pursuing this path? say just take the time to really understand how this change is impacting each group or location specifically really I like just be a sponge so I really embed myself in a lot of the project meetings and and initial conversations that maybe typically um, change management isn't involved in but I just sometimes I don't say a thing but it's more just I'm there as a sponge and just a fly on the wall and I just want to understand fully how much this impacts someone and also really understand, like, you know, you can train a system from A to Z and um, pretty straightforward, but if you're not integrating the processes in those training conversations and, you know, linking it to what they do today versus what they will be doing tomorrow, I don't think it will be adopted as well because I think a lot of times you know, you have like an outside vendor do the training, let's say for internally, they are experts in the system and they are great at what they do, but 
they don't link it back to the employee. And so I think that's always something that you should make sure you're focusing on because once you link it, it will make, it will click better and adopt and they'll adopt to it better after go live. We just talk about that as contextual relevance. Um, you are absolutely correct. You said exactly what was on my mind, which is that the, the folks that have built the software are really experts in the software and they know where every, how every control affects every workflow and what data goes where in the system. But um, what we've seen more often than not is that those companies, while they're experts in their own software, haven't necessarily done a great job of connecting that to a day in the life of the user. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's critical. That's what it's all about, right? You can invest hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in new technology. And if the end users don't adopt it, it's all for naught. We know that. Um, but we have to bring them the context, right? What does this mean? What are you going to be doing? And one of the things that I love about doing, and you and I have touched on this, um, you know, previous to our, our uh, interview today, is getting out in the field. You know, I always want to know what tools are they going to be holding in their hand? We're asking them to update a work order on some asset, but they're holding tools in their hand or they have some type mm -hmm. of monitor or scanner in their hand, right? So what, what are all the things that they're going to be doing? Are they near their truck or are they, uh, you know, 500 feet away from their truck when they're doing these things? All of yeah. those things actually impact the end user experience and ultimately their ability to be successful with the technology. And if we don't understand all of that context and, and help them understand it, you know, through the technology adoption, then we're far less likely to be successful. Yeah, exactly. And even, I mean, it's small things that you have to look at when you go into the field. So yeah, now they're holding an iPad and they have other tools with them and they're expected to carry the iPad around. So, you know, like maybe like the sleeve of the iPad so that it's easier to hold um, the strap so that they can just throw it over their shoulder. Um, I remember when I first started on the team, there was a, an app that went out to, um, a location that was in a colder area. So in the winter, you know, they have their gloves on and they're trying to enter things on the iPad. So, you know, those tech gloves that have like the fingertips where you can select something on the iPad without your hand going numb and taking off your glove or a stylus pen. Every training we do, my, like our training team brings Sue as stylus pens so that they have something to select it, those, those um, buttons on the iPad instead of using their hands if their hands are dirty or they are wearing gloves. So just like little things like that, just to make it a little bit better and a better experience. In a past life, we were building a technology solution for a factory and had a good fortune of one of the developers that was going to be working on the team was able to, to do, uh, was in town when we were doing a site visit. And I brought that developer out to just go take a uh, tour of the facility. And uh, as the GM was, was walking us through the facility, the developer said, those are the guys that are going to be using our new software, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, every single one of them is wearing gloves. And so he had this epiphany moment that it, it just stuck in my head. It was such a good example that had that developer not been out in the field that day or one of us trans, you know, transfer this, this experience, um, you know, we might've made buttons in the application that were too small mm -hmm. or specced a monitor that was not sufficient, you know, from a touchscreen sensitivity standpoint to enable use while wearing gloves, right? These were welders, these were fabricators that had to be wearing gloves for safety, but yeah. they also had to interact with technology at the same time, right? And that, that is why I think it's so important for all of us that are helping our teammates that are out in the field, you know, implement technology before, during, and after the design and implementation of that technology, we have to go spend time out in the field. Little things like seeing the gloves, uh, you know, in, in cold locations and seeing 
you know, what they're wearing in super hot locations, right? Those things all impact the technology. And when we're sitting here in an air conditioned office, mm-hmm. we sometimes lose sight of, of some of the real world implications of that. So I think it's great that, that you and your team are taking the time to go out and, uh, and really understand that environment and bring that context. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really important just to think of those end users at all times when you're implementing these apps. Yeah, that's good. So tell me, what do you, what's your favorite part about working around technology? Um, my favorite part would probably be, so the, it's really the training aspect of my job. So, um, it's helping those field users or any end user understand that technology better. And especially I really love working with the field because it's just such a transformation, I would say, when they come into when they leave the training. So the beginning of training, you know, like they express like, I'm not good with technology or um, like they express their hesitations and I listen and that's fine. Um, But then kind of just seeing the shift. So once we go through the system and go through a first like work order, let's say, and I'm like, all right, like, how do you guys feel now? And they're like, all right, it's not terrible. Like we can do it. It's going to take a bit, but we can do it. And so that's really like my favorite part is just seeing like even the ones who are probably the most resistant coming into the training class, um, leaving, feeling a bit more comfortable with it and kind of winning people over with it. Um, So that I would say is my absolute favorite part. There's genuine anxiety and insecurity for many people, not just frontline workers, but I think it is, uh, especially with frontline workers, there's genuine anxiety and fear about having to use new technology and, and them feeling threatened about their job and, and their ability to be successful in their role. And so I, I could just imagine, I could see it in your body language on video, just the satisfaction that you get from taking somebody that's in that frustrated, stressed out state to you know becoming proficient and, and maybe seeing them let their guard down a little bit. I could just see how rewarding that must be for you. Um, so yeah. that's, that's a, a great way for you to describe it. Yeah. And it's really just like managing expectations there because a lot of people come into training again, like kind of with the mindset of I'm never going to understand this I'm never going to learn this and then once they're they're acclimated to it they're like okay like but after this like I'm not going to remember all this from training I'm going to go home and forget half of them like that's expected like I fully expect that to happen I definitely do not under any circumstances think you're going to remember everything I said and neither does your supervisor like everyone's on the same page so um it's really just kind of managing those expectations and taking that pressure off of them to know that it is going to be a learning process. Like next week when they go live, it, there is going to be a dip in productivity and that's okay because they're adapting to it. Yeah. Um, I always say that, you know, like learning a new technology for work is like breaking in a new pair of work boots. You are very comfortable in your current pair, but maybe they're falling apart. Maybe they're not like safe anymore. So you have to change. You have to get a new pair and it might take a week to break them in. You might get some blisters. You might not feel comfortable, but it's going to get better. And that's the message that I always like to portray. It's going to be a bit rocky the first couple of days and that's expected. No one expects you to come out of the gate perfect, but you will get past all those bumps and all those hiccups in time. And we're all here to support you through it as well. I was not going to wrap up this podcast until we talked about breaking in boots. <laughs> so I'm glad we uh, we got to that part of, uh, of our conversation today. Is there anything that maybe you dislike about the technology aspect? Any drawbacks of working around technology so much in your role in particular? Um, I mean, it can definitely be frustrating to like have things not work properly. Um, so that's something that I'm always, I'm always really cautious of and 
testing everything the moments up to training to make sure it's working. Um, because there's nothing more frustrating than finally, like, you know, you kick off a training and you go through your whole intro and it's like, okay, now let's get into the system. And then no one can log in. And then that's the first impression everyone gets. So that is the most frustrating part when things don't work, especially initially in the training where they're just getting to know it. Um, and it just kind of derails like my whole uh, agenda. Um, so I would say that's the most frustrating part, but that's really just working with your vendors to make sure that everything is, um, and your testers and everyone just to make sure everything is up to speed and everyone is working properly and has access to the right things. It's amazing how, how much is possible with technology, but when you, when you just think for a minute about all of the systems that are uh, required to work at the same time between your Wi-Fi network and the servers and all of the other parts and pieces that, that make up an enterprise system, uh, things, things happen. And it, it is unfortunate when we're so hyper-focused on the end user adoption and we want this experience to be good for them right out of the gate so that we can alleviate some of their concerns and lower their defenses, you know, about this whole experience. The last thing we want to have is, is technical glitches, but I, I understand it does happen. And, and I agree, it can be super frustrating. Mm -hmm. So kind of as we're, we're wrapping up here, um, obviously you've had an emphasis on professional development. Are there, I know in this, you know, pandemic era that we're in today, uh, we're attending a, a lot fewer events than we have in the past. Are there any events or other, you know, whether that be in person or, or even remote that you're planning to attend from a professional development standpoint in the future? Um, so I definitely try to get into at least like a webinar on like change management or project management here and there. ProSci offers a lot. Um, PMI, the Project Management Institute offers a lot as well. Yep. Um, I also, I am in grad school part-time, so that kind of keeps me busy with my development. But so, yeah, so I, I would um, say I'm definitely looking forward to in-person events again, because I think it's just, you gain so much more from it and the networking aspect. And I think you're really forced to pay attention as a trainer. I am probably the worst trainee at times because I definitely multitask through virtual events. Um, so yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to in-person events one day. Um, but I do try to get into different virtual events, even if it's a quick webinar here and there from different topics. Yeah, that's good. We've, you've talked a lot about ProSide today and, um, you know, we're, as we're doing this change management series on the podcast, um, we're hearing it come up, you know, on, on almost every episode. So it sounds like just an absolutely fantastic organization that I'll admit I wasn't super familiar with prior to doing the series. Um, my, my awareness level is, is growing and it sounds like it's a, a really phenomenal organization because all of the the real change management pros that we've been talking with that are uh, just, you know, super imp uh, impressive um, professionals have all been associated with ProSci. So I think that says a lot about the organization and, and those pros that are, um, you know, going through the training and getting the certifications and stuff. So that's good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I would say it's like the equivalent for a project manager, pretty much needing a PMP is yep. a change manager having that ProSci experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, we're, we're already up on time. And um, so we do need to wrap it up. Um, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Please visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. 
And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. 